to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Sharad and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the culture? Yes, 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 party people, New York City and worldwide. It's your boy, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy. Yo. What up? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm well, man. Just uh, recovering from another crazy weekend. Bunch of gigs. Back to it this coming weekend, so. Gigging all over the place? Gigging all over the place, man. Yo, it's crazy, man, right? Like, do you ever get a chance to stop or, like, just breathe? Or is it always work, work, work? Uh... You know, I it, I guess it is always work, 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 but I do definitely stop and kind of savor the things that are happening around me, whether it's, you know, just kicking it with my family, my nieces, my nephews, uh, my wife, my parents. I saw you did a lot of family time this weekend, right? I, was I did. Checking out your grandma a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I, w- I was with the family. It was my sister's birthday. Shout out to my sister. Happy 30th birthday. Buck, buck, buck. Um, so, yeah, we just all got together, had some uh, some good food and good conversation. It was dope. Was butter chicken in the mix? Butter chicken was not in the mix this weekend. I feel like uh, I had. I was like, I was at a party a couple of weeks ago. I was teaching a private event, mm-hmm. and uh, the catering guy was there. Okay. And we know him well. Okay. Uh, Uncle Vicky. Sure. And uh, he go, I go... Uncle, I, the party I was at last night had no food. I was I was teaching in, in a corporate event and there was no food. Please tell me you have some butter chicken. He goes, of course I have the butter chicken. You know whatever you want, and I and I got you. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I got so busy DJing that I never got to eat the butter chicken. Two days later on that Monday, where do you think I went? See Uncle Vicky. I had to do it. <laughs> yeah, that and that was my actual my first day off, in. Forever, and it wasn't even day off. It was like a two hours off because I feel life is just so busy all the time. Like, if we're not gigging, we're doing something. Yeah. No matter what, though, you got to make time for butter chicken, bro, especially if you're having that urge and that craving. Do you do you feel like back in the day you had more time than you do now? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think this, uh, everyone can attest to this. Like, the responsibility, obviously, more responsibilities come with age and, and you know, as you get older. But... um but yeah, I, I definitely did have more time to do things and, and kind of find myself and understand, like, you know, the things that I enjoyed and the things that I didn't enjoy. You know, one thing that I really, really enjoyed. Tell me. Growing up and like through my college years, early years out of college, it was the first Thursday of every single month. I remember that vividly, man. I do you really? I do because I was the young kid who couldn't get into any of the clubs. <laughs> But I had to. I had to be there no matter what. Um, so, uh, you know, you and I we connected and the stars aligned, and you were like, "Yo, dude, I need somebody to promote my event." So, I'll DJ, <laughs> and, and you can hand out flyers, or I'll go out and, and chill. Oh, and, exactly. And the first Thursday of the month was the the day that I think our community growing up, our our whole squad. You know, our Jersey crew, our Long Island crew, our Queens crew, everybody would get together 
for like 12 hours straight. Yeah. We would start our day at like, our evening at like 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. And we'd go to a club called Envy. Yep. Do you remember that? I do. It was like an after work party. I do. Yeah. It was a networking event, if you will. <laughs> and you would stand on the corner and hand out flyers. I would stand on the corner and hand out flyers, man. And then once that was over, I'd go down the block. You'd go down the block. Uh, Varrican Houston. Varrican Houston. And just hand out flyers outside of... Uh... Did you ever eat a cheeseburger from like right across there if you were hungry in the middle? I didn't because I, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to take a break from what I was doing. <laughs> Stop. I swear. Man. I swear. I'm not even lying because it was so like uh, stimulating for me to like see all these people. I, me- I remember I'm in high school at this time, right? Right. And I'm trying to get to know everybody and, and find myself as well. But so if people are coming in and out, like if they're out socializing, smoking cigarettes, whatever, like I would just go up to them and hand them a flyer. If not, I'd just start strike a conversation. Um, and that was what was important to me at that time. So that was a club that was called sounds of brazil mm-hmm. sobs mm-hmm. and it was by far the most important best south asian driven music event that we could find on a monthly basis and at the end of the day is where you would literally run into everybody that you knew or you wanted to see grab a drink hit that dance floor and go home Basement, basement Bungro was the common denominator. And you know today, Juice, we have a legendary figure in the building, my friend. Sherrod, please. Iconic, if you will. DJ? DJ. Producer? Producer. Curator. I like that. And activist. I like that, too. Who's our guest today, Sherrod? Our guest is the legendary DJ Reka founder of many things but probably the thing we know her best for is basement bunger what's up reka what's up what's up reka, that's welcome a very to the show. nice intro thank you very much yo i have to tell you that i am very excited to have you here uh we've recorded a bunch of episodes at base uh, at, uh, at butter chicken. I'm like is basement bunger still happening cuz no <laughs> one told me about that. Where so, I th- my biggest regret is I can't go I've never been to that party. Wow. <laughs> Think about it. Well, you've been there. Well, I haven't been there. But you've been there. No. I mean, I it's a party I would have wanted to go to just as a civilian. You know how it is. Civilian. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from my perspective, dope. So I've experienced it. I've experienced it too. I've experienced it many nights. And I remember just coming in there so many nights and just no matter where I was on a Thursday, I would end up at basement. And I actually remember one time running into you early on in the run. And um, I was like, yo, I love going to SOBs. I remember sitting in your car and you playing me a CD or giving me a CD or something. Yeah. Damn, I don't remember that. Shameless self-promotion for me as always. <laughs> I don't remember that. Wow. Um, but you actually corrected me and, and said it's not SOBs, it's Macebit Bungra. Oh, yeah. All night and all day. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> right? And there is a difference, and some people kind of yeah. relate the two to one another. Yeah. So to describe the differences, the party and the event is Basement Bungra, and the venue is SOBs. And I think when we started the party... SOBs was so legendary in our minds that we pushed it that way, and mm. it it stuck. And um, 
And then after a while, you know, it's like, wait, but this is not just SOBs. And we moved it for five years and it's 20 year run. Mm. And, you know, I mean, you can never make people happy. When we were there, people were like, oh, you find a nicer place. And we found a nicer place. Like, oh, I miss the old place. Yeah. It, had, so, it had a special, like, charm. No, it, it, it's, it's a certain, uh, you know, it's a certain thing, a certain place, a certain time. Party spaces, uh, you know, the venue, the space, the physical space is very important for how you're creating uh, a vibe. I've done many other parties, and I always am very careful about the physical space, what it looks like, what it feels like. So has space selection been something that you've always sort of looked at first when you're developing a party? I mean, sure. I mean, it's important. Or a lot, I mean, I get approached a lot of times to start something, and I won't do it unless I think it's the right fit. Or, um, you know, through the years, we always looked for spaces that suited the vibe of the night, for sure. I think that's a, like a, something that I've noticed from my perspective is that everything that you do is done with intent. Like there's not, it's not just all right haphazardly put together. There's there's some meaning behind it, which you know you could see in in a lot of your work. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. I think we're going to get into a lot of that today. But for the listeners, you know, a lot of our listeners are eighteen to thirty, and some of them might not have ever had a chance to go to basement. But more importantly, like they might not even really know who you are and mm-hmm. where you come from. So. You know, with Butter Chicken, what we try to do is really tell the story of the come up and try to give the listener perspective of not just this superstar DJ Reka that we see today flying all Whatever. over the world, <laughs> all over iTunes and got a record with Wyclef. Like, we, we see that, but we know some of the things that Reka, where Reka comes from or DJ Reka comes from, but a lot of our listeners don't. So I think to just jump right in, uh, give us a little bit of background about where you come from, both culturally and then just here in New York, like 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 the come up in terms of from really young. Sure. I mean, I was, I'm the, you know, grandchild of partition. My parents uh, were born in what's now Pakistan. They were very young. They migrated. They grew up in Delhi. They had a low marriage in the late 60s, <laughs> wow. which, which, is unheard of. which was pretty radical for their time. Mm. So it was easier for them to leave the country than to get their own apartment. Um, and they moved to England. They lived there for six years. I was born in London, mm. which is very fundamental to who I, who I am musically in so many ways because having a connection to London was really important. Mm. And uh, we moved to the States eventually, started in Flushing, what um, what year was that? That was seventy six. It's all out. It's on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, Who okay. cares? <laughs> yeah. There's no lying. Yeah. Um Yeah, so seventy six before you guys were born. Um facts. facts. <laughs> and uh we lived there for uh you know, flushing was very important. Then we moved to the burbs. But uh not not what most people think of the suburbs, not white suburbia. This was a a very different kind of neighborhood, which was also very fundamental and very important to my creative upbringing. Um, we moved to Westbury, Long Island, which did not have any Indian people. Mm-mm. It was a very mixed community. It was mostly African-American, but within that, uh, a lot of Caribbean, second-gen Caribbean immigrants. So there was a lot, of comp- a lot of bonding there, a lot of exposure to cool stuff. And folks that, you know, Westbury is, uh, was a site of the, one of the sites of the Underground Railroad. It's a Qua- it was settled by Quakers. It has a very deep history 
um, I love Westbury. <laughs> and and the, I do too. W- went through the Westbury school system. It was very a really special space. It's kind of like a small community vibe. A lot of the teachers that we, uh, a lot of our teachers had been involved in the civil rights movement, and they a lot of people stay and like end up working in the school. So our principal, our guidance counselor, our vice principal had gone to school there. So it had a real community vibe. And then as an adult, I ventured to Brooklyn and, you know, now happily in Queens. Nice. True New Yorker, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Experience it at all. Priced out of Brooklyn. That's true New Yorker. So you <laughs> went to West Bay High School, and then I read yeah. somewhere you went to QC. Oh, to yeah. I went to Queens College. That's right. Yeah. Tell us about that, because I remember, like... Did you go to St. John's? I did go to St. John's. How'd you okay. know that? Just all the DJs yeah. went to St. John's back <laughs> then. Went to John's. They were all like, pretending to be pharmacists. <laughs> not me. And then, and not me. And oh. they, That's so funny. I, I went to St. John's like uh-huh. after a bunch of other DJs went to St. John's. Uh-huh. And I, I threw, like, my whole career in college was not to go to college. It was literally to be at a place and have a platform to hand out flyers. Yeah, I, right? I took my time with college. <laughs> but I learned how to, I did different things. I, Eventually got you know involved with the India Club and what was the club back then? It was called the India Club. Is it wow. still the India Club or is it something else now? Is it South like South Asian, Asian Student students? Association? I think is that what it is? Sasa Queens? Yeah. Yes, it is. It is Sasa. It Queens. Is there was not. There was the India Club. There was a Pakistani Club, and then there was an Indo Caribbean Club. So you were part of the Indian Club. Okay. And the people prior to us had embezzled money. Uh, to buy pagers, so the club wow. when I when I joined that's some queen shit, right? When there. I joined, um, the club was completely had no money and defunded, and Jeez. it barely had enough. I had to bring it back, so I brought it back, and uh, yeah, so I like that was my first foray into organizing events in a more formal way. So um, did that set the tone for you in terms of organizing actual events, or like were you doing shit? I think my Can parents set the tone. We had mad house parties in Queens growing up. Mm-hmm. Like my memory of growing up is the flu- this is before the, the West flushing. Bay. This is the flushing, and then uh, we were the first to migrate, and then a lot of folks still were in flushing. So the house party vibes were strong, and my parents' friends were about ten years younger than them. So we sort of, me and my sister, th- three years older, we sort of were in between. The kids were a little too young, so we were sort of like kind of hung out with the grown-ups more. So there was just, like, a lot of house parties and dance parties and a lot a lot of people and not a lot of space. Who, who was deep? Like, what was, what was who that was music? Who yeah, was DJing? Was like, uh, what was the music happening in, like, the The music happening was vinyl records. It was cassettes. It was eight tracks. TDK cassettes, too. I'm mean, like, the it big... It was eight tracks. Eight tracks, yeah. okay. Yeah. Bollywood vinyl, Punjabi vinyl. It wasn't even... Oh. Bollywood, the word, wasn't even invented then. Okay. Wow. <laughs> or in parlance, Yeah. Yeah, so the, so that that sort of vibe, like hosting, community gathering stuff, I, I learned from my parents. In terms of Queens College, the organizing stuff, I think um, it was about like kind of making it different. So I did parties that was like tell your mom you're at the library. Parties that started at five p.m. Oh, to ten p.m. So that it was a commuter college at the time, hundred percent. I think they have dorms now. There were a lot of women that uh, you know didn't get to hang out on the weekends. Or whatever. So I wanted to do something that um, was was available. I was I was interested in having accessibility to everyone. Were we you did, the president of the? Eventually, area? but not right away. There was a bunch of folks, okay. and then uh, you know we did parties at Tindor on Queens Boulevard. I used to go to those. Yeah. <laughs> so so like for that party, I wanted it to be like free for Queens College students and twenty dollars for everyone else. Like really, like I I don't know where these instincts kicked in, but there was a way to like 
you know, make it accessible, privilege certain people in some way, like make it about not just just make it for the people it's intended for, I think. Um, yeah, so that that's uh was this upstairs at the door like the, oh the yeah room upstairs oh, yeah. that holds like 50 people yeah it was upstairs and then <clears throat> it was so weird one night they had a, we had a party and they said that con ed had to turn the electricity off for 20 minutes this is really bizarre and they're like say for 20 minutes we have to turn the electricity off which was terrible and they did it and everyone just grabbed bottles <laughs> oh man i also no it wasn't always upstairs there was a party at the door that was downstairs sometimes they would just take the whole thing over um, and maybe it wasn't even a Queens College party. It might have been some other party. Now, were you know. DJing yet? No. I Well, I started that... DJing when I was in college. I never DJed at Queens College. In fact, ah. to, de- to this date, I've never been asked to DJ at Queens College. Can we make that happen? We've got to make that happen. Somehow. We have to yeah. make that happen. Queens College needs to make it happen. No, if they we'll can't... make it happen. No, I don't need you to make no, it happen. No, like, they not need us to... to make it happen, but like... But like the people, the listeners, like, whoever, like, whoever's yeah, let's, Queens College. Let's make that happen. Yeah. My photo is in Ke- in Kylie Hall as an alumnus. I've been written in the magazine, but I've not actually been. Our our DJs that time were the DJs that were hired were DJ Ladla, heavy heavy in the streets, Little J, mm-hmm. <laughs> heavy, and uh, uh, I think I don't know. If, well, Pintu Jahal would work with DJ Ladla. He used to have a ro- rodeo. He used to have this thing where he had like his name on the car and yeah, I remember that. Even Ladla had that van, that mobile DJ party. Ladla. Uh, Ladla had like ten black vans. Yeah. And out of Bayside, it would come out of like <laughs> off the Clearview. Yeah, he looked at right? Bayside. Right? Off right. the Clearview. They had more know. gear like installed than actually what that was being no, transferred. They had the big EAW speaker. Yeah, yeah I remember. It was amazing. I was I was so I was a fan of the scene at that time. Mm-hmm. I was a an avid party goer mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, me too. I went to everything. So you, when did you actually start spinning? Like, so like, how did that happen? So how did that happen? So it happened in that the first round of parties were not, were not. I didn't really have a lot of access. Did not really get booked for college parties in New York. Um, the first spinning was with my cousins Deepak and Nithin, also known as Monu and Rinku, of course. Um, we started. It was around the time that, you know, Jay Dobby was DJing. There was this crew called Infinite Sounds that he was a part I know of. Infinite. Which was really BK. sad because we thought our name, we're like, we have to come up with a good DJ name. Like, let's call it Infinite Sounds. And then we found out there was somebody else oh, called man. Infinite Sounds. Our first actual desire to DJ, we were driving and we were, you know, conspiring to think about it. And part of it was because of the music we were listening to. We're like, wow, this is cool. And we saw Magic Might at a party. Did a couple of house parties at home. And so you just... had equipment already? No. I'll tell you the equipment story. Wow. The first, the first so you became of... a DJ before No, you no, 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 no. This is not the DJing. This is the inspiration to become a mm. DJ. Okay. So with me and my cousins, we're thinking about starting a crew. Uh, we're driving uh, on Old Country I... Road. Westbury. And we, see, and we see these speakers on the road. What? And we're like, this is a sign from God. We stop. I'd swear to God, they look like speakers, 100%. Straight up. They're cardboard boxes. Oh, shit. Didn't matter. We took it as a sign. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the first... Yeah. So, then we, we start... The first gig, combined cousins gig, was at a place called Yolma, Bombay Harbor. Oh, yeah. $51. First birthday. Had two CD, CD players. Not, and about not 15, with pitch control. No. Right. Nothing. Two CD players. So, basically, we're sort of contemplating this... <clears throat> And my cousin works somewhere in Manhattan. He's like, hey, someone's selling a bunch of gear. Should I get it? 
I go, what is it? And he's like, it's a, it's a mixer, it's a CD player, a tape deck, a microphone. I'm like, get it. He paged me. <laughs> and I said, sure. And that mixer, I still have it. It's in my friend's house. It's a Radio Shack mixer. Wow. Solid state, really well made. It was made for PAs, like two mic lines. That was the first... Mi- Actually, I think the first mixer was a Gemini mixer that was terrible. But we. What, this what year was, is this? This is 92. 92 is so the when first you got your first gig, piece of gear. The first gig with about 15 CDs for a first birthday was June 26, 1992. That wow. kid has since been to basement, and he's a really good bunger dancer. I don't take a lot of credit for That was it. his wow. first birthday. That was his first birthday. So and that kid has been won. to basement. Wow. Full circle. Wow. So he's 30. Like, no. no, 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 no. He's not 30. He came to basement years you ago. Were, I think he was probably not 20. He could yeah. Whatever, he was maybe. whatever. Right, he right. got in. Let's not. Yeah, yeah I'm a mathematician. I got I'm not. <laughs> I want to know, like, so when you you said uh, growing up in Westbury, it was culturally diverse, mm-hmm. and um, you know, being like the one of the only Indian or South Asian families in the in the area. Yes. What like who did you identify with over there, and like what music did you identify with? So I think uh, identified with a lot of different styles of music, mm-hmm. and um, I grew up. Listening to WLIR, which was all electronic, like Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, all that stuff. I loved Prince mm-hmm. a lot. I liked... I When I first moved, I had culture shock going from Queens to Long Island. I can imagine. So one of our neighbors took us to the library and they had an amazing vinyl collection. And I listened to every Beatles album backwards and forwards. And wow. on the radio, they used to do... It's like, you know, around my time, one of the most significant things happened was John Lennon died. Mm. So his music came in, you know. I mean, the Beatles never go away. So I really got into the Beatles. So I, they would do radio shows would do like Beatles marathons, A to Z. So I learned the Beatles in alphabetical order. Wow. Um, and then what we heard in school, which was the beginning of hip hop, like you know, we were near the Queen side, so we were too, you know, somebody's friend was dating LL Cool J. I remember someone called his answering machine. He had an outgoing rap. Like wow. It was it was it felt like things were in proximity. Yeah. Hip hop was touchable. Like. It was it was tangible, and you heard it in school. And there was a, all the elements, like people were break dancing in the hallways. They were, you know, coming up with tags. They were doing all that kind of stuff. So that was a, I just think like fortunate to see that come through and emerge. Right. And you know, also in terms of like, my dad had a store in Manhattan. What kind of store was it? You know, candy store. The yes, that's a candy stationery office supply, Midtown Manhattan. All right. And so. Summers were donated there. Nice. <laughs> and that's where I found a village voice, which is where I sort of, it was my gateway into the city for other cultural stuff. And and I discovered a, a radio station called WBAI, which is still around, Pacifica, which had a lot of interesting cultural, political programming. It opened doors to me to other kinds of music. I eventually was on, that's my first foray into radio was being uh, on a show there, and when I started there, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this, this is amazing!" Surreal. You know, you, it's like you when were you were spinning on the show. It was a, it was a like a culture show, so I would play the music. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. And that was in '94. I, I came as a guest. I did a guest spot, and I just kept coming back, and I ended up becoming one of the uh, part of. It was a collective, so we'd rotate different people who talk about different things. So that it's called radio bending. That was my first radio experience. Sick. Now, now you're um, so you're kind of absorbing all this, this different genres and, mm-hmm. and understanding, learning about it. Now you fast forward, you get to college, 
and boom, now I see Desi's here. Like, yeah, no, that's definitely the case. Uh, yeah, so like, yeah, having not grown up around Desi's and even within the family, there were not many Desi's my age. It was definitely this, and I feel like for people my generation, that was a very common experience. Mm-hmm. They may not have come from a more, as diverse a neighborhood as me, but you go to college and there's this whole like finally like I. I belong to something or yeah. was that something that was in I mean I think it was a complicated uh equation because I think um in one hand there was this like you know Queens College is notorious there's a lot of daisies it's it's also like I went to Queens College but I wasn't one of the two majors that mm. is usually a Queens College are you accounting or computer science okay. I was an English major okay so <laughs> I was already weird to begin with <laughs> um and uh and and people go, what do you want to do with that one? Like, I don't know. I just want to write, you know. Yeah. So I think what what was sad about what was uh it was great to be around a lot of daisies and a person that was very important in my life, Dr. Madalika Kundelwal, who's still there, runs the Asian American Center, who was sort of a mentor. Like, you know, we got a South Asian diaspora class instituted and or maybe it was Indian diaspora, we weren't so hip. So we try to do make change <laughs> at at the university, you know. And that's where I got my first taste of activism was through Madhulika. She was sort of a community leader. There was um, a call for people to pack the court uh, in support of uh, a, a civil trial against a racial incident against a doctor, Dr. Koshal Cern. The most famous case of, of an Indian being uh, racial, racial attack in the 80s was Nafroz Moody, came out of a bar in Hoboken with his white colleague was yelled racial epitaphs and beaten to death by a bunch of hooligans. Now Hoboken has a sick mayor in it, yeah, Ravi Bala. It's like, not couldn't believe it in my lifetime. So that that is the moment that galvanized me. So Queens College is really important that way. What was unfortunate about Queens College is, in general, the minority students there are not treated. At the time I went there, were not, were not read, were not treated. There's a lot of um, self-selecting, uh, you know, ethnic self self separation the african-american students there weren't that many as many when i went there and they were just you know very segregated and it was like it was very hard for me to voice or to to like feel like i was part of like i mean the word we have the verbiage now of like a person of color but i didn't have that it was like it was like a disconnected experience in some way Mm -hmm. especially coming from westbury where where you click with everybody right right Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah being in westbury um, being the only Indian there, or one of the few Indians, were you, was there ever racism against you, or were people looking at you like you were different or weird? Because I think, I think it was invisibility, which is interesting how race operates. Because I think when we talk about race, if we don't talk about it in an intersectional way, we're not looking at class and we're not looking at privilege. So, as someone who lived, I was probably read as a as a person of a certain class in that school. So I was probably misread or not read or not didn't show up or read as white, if, if anything, because, you know, I didn't feel any direct discrimination. I felt a lot of discrimination flushing. Oh, my God, it was horrible there. Really? I mean, Interesting. Oh, flushing was terrible in the 70s. We couldn't, there were streets we wouldn't walk down because they would yell at us saying, stinking Hindu this, that. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. You didn't go to school on Halloween because you'd get egged. you get the shit kicked out of you. My dad was coming home from the subway once with a business colleague. And I don't even think it was Halloween he got egged. I mean, it was a very hostile, 
hostile place in the 70s as as there was a greater visibility of South Asians moving into the neighborhood. Whereas people like to say Jackson Heights and there's a lot of the, like uh, nostalgia around Jackson Heights and it's sort of, you know, even this recently I was at an event and the way people represent Jackson Heights as a site of the Desi community, I mean, the truth is most Desis lived in Flushing and Colden Towers. Jackson Heights is a shopping district. It's not that there 100%. weren't any Desis there. It's just that these these places become simplified and watered down and they become like tokens. Mm -hmm. And so like people do, you know, it's like people who never go North and they want to, it's like, it becomes a, a, a symbol of authenticity, even if it's not really, what is it? What is it authentic? It's a, it's a question to think about. It's interesting. Interesting perspective. Yeah. Cause when my, my, my parents immigrated to this country, they moved to Elmhurst. Right. Um, and they, you know, Jackson Heights was, was the hub. Right, shopping and, and everything else. All their friends they socialize there. So, mm -hmm. for me growing up, that's what my parents kind of educated me and communicated with me. So that, so I, in my, just like you had mentioned, like people have this misconception, right? Yeah, I'll I mean, it, it was a, it was an important, it is an important place, and it is a hub of some sort. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the idea that it's a neighborhood where people live and the way it gets represented, I think is a misnomer. Mm. And whereas I was always like, well, people actually live in Flushing, right? And and the truth is, the first Indian store in the area was in Flush. It was actually, no, it was in Elmhurst. It was in Elmhurst. I think it was like... What was the first Indian store? The first Indian store, I think, might have been in Flushing on Bound Street. And then Main Street opened up a bunch of stores in Flushing. And then Jackson Heights started. And there was a couple of stores that were not exactly on 74th. Uh, I mean, ISP, Indian Sari Palace, has been there since 73. It's one of the oldest ISP stores ISP was there. amazing. Yeah. Still there. Sam and Raj. Sam Raj is gone. Yeah, that was amazing. Jackson Diner was on the corner. Yeah, it was small. Jackson Diner is still there. But now the neighborhood is Bangladeshi, Nepali, Tibetan. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, it's so um, different now. And it's really different. And so, like, to say, I mean, South Asian, we all know that that's a, that's a, a, a generalized term. And when we say South Asian, most people are, are not really necessarily saying it's a way of saying south asian but you really mean indian or whatever we were just having this discussion been uh, having this discussion for 20 years <laughs> so so what is what is correct is no it, no it's not that it's not correct it's yeah. like when you say south asian and then what what you're saying is south asian is mostly indian then it's not representative right right so it it, it is it or you're saying Indian and, and, and it's like, are you really, do you really mean South Asian? Or when you say Indian, what do you mean by Indian? Do you mean North Indian? You, like, you know, right. like, like in terms of like, I mean, it's really tough because <laughs> words, you can't, it's, 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 it's like a, there's no end to it. Right. So like in England, we say, they say Asian, right? Which right. to me is just. Different. It's weird, right? Because when I used to it. it happens all, no, it's so crazy because every, you Asian, know, we have mate. so many friends across the yeah. pond. yeah. And they're like, oh, what BBC do you do? Asian well, Network. I do Asian, <laughs> like I'm Asian. And like, you can't use that here. It doesn't no. work. No, it doesn't because race is a construction. Because it's a construction and it's based on bars. context. Bars. <laughs> bars. Race is a construction. Can you, can you dive deeper into no, that? No, let's not. Let's go. We didn't get to my origin story. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. We're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. We're here. Yeah, yeah. It's too much good stuff here. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, all right. Origin, can I can I tell you something about where I first saw you play and where I heard of you? Yes. I don't know the year. It might have been 94. It might have been 95. Okay. But I was heavy going to the Ladla parties, the Gujarati Samaj parties, all those parties. Oh. <laughs> we were popping. And I remember one night going to Divan 
on 48 Street. I remember this night. Wait, you don't remember meeting me, do you? I do remember meeting Holy you. Holy shit. I, told, I was going to bring this up because I totally really? remember meeting you. You were 18. I don't think I was 18 yet because it was I don't know. You were young 95. and you were really... Um, you were really feeling yourself that day. Nah. <laughs> I remember that. See, I don't That's think That's so. what I'm, I was I, mad shy back in those days. Hmm. But I was I, with Joy. Right. So I want to kind of get into that. Yeah. So I was trying to remember whose party it was. I think I know whose party it was. So it was like 94 or 95. So I, I re- must have been 15 or 16. I remember this. Yes. And uh, Reka and Joy. Reka had a partner, right? A uh, DJ, DJ partner, partner, Joy. Named DJ Joy. Who's a guy. Um, yep. And... Uh, I walked into the party with a bunch of my older friends, and I had just started DJing then. I remember this. And I, I think your booth this. was set up in the back by like, yeah, where like the Tandoori. Of course, in right in front of the kitchen. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah, we couldn't get clubs at that time. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. right? There was no. Like, but that party was a private party. I thought you were nah, there with your family. It wasn't a private party. Oh. That, was a, that was a paid $20 to get in party. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember. And you were DJing it, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, here's another dope DJ. Because remember, this is like. Pre, so pre, like you'd have to see a flyer and go to a party. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of is what lured me uh-huh. into yeah. wanting to dig more and find my own community parties, <laughs> flyer party with the best. I have a storage room full of flyers. So you said I was feeling myself that day. I'm in <laughs> shock. I never feel myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I just remember you. You talked to us. You looked at what we were doing. You're talking to Joy, and then I can't remember. There was something about it that. I, I, there was something I I, I don't want I don't want to misrepresent it. That's no, cool, but I don't know feel. what it was. Maybe maybe I was being self conscious and like uncomfortable because I was relatively new at that time. I thought it was Maya Rajani's twenty fifth anniversary party. I don't even know who that is. Then it wasn't that. Then it wasn't that. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I feel like it was a family party, and you were. I do know Maya there. Rajani from Children's Hope. Yes. It was her 25th anniversary party. I thought that was the party. That's my recollection. Memory is a very uh, strange thing. We remember things very differently. Yeah. I'm also trying to remember something else, which is Apache Indian uh-huh. performing at Divan in Port Washington. Were you there that night, too? I don't know if I was there. It may be. I think you I'm were. I'm a huge, I'm such I'm a mega. big Apache Indian fan. Yeah. Like, that man changed my life, no doubt. Me too. And you, you've brought him here, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I still get, like, fangirl. Like, you get a text from him. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, pioneer, icon, legend. I'm not dead. Living legend. <laughs> All these words come to mind when speaking of you, your track record, what you've done, what you've done for South Asians uh, <laughs> in, in New York and just in, in the music scene in general. Um, where does Basement Bhangra start and how does that start? And Okay, that's a, I will tell you the whole story. Uh, so Basement Bhangra starts with... Hmm, how do we really tell the story? I think at that at the time in the nineties I was fell in with a bunch of nerds, people that were starting to think about culture in a certain kind of way. So I was around an activist and academic group and somehow I got invited to and I had at that point had interned for Sucky. I was one of their first interns, Sucky for South Asian women. I had been started getting involved with um the work um, against the racial violence and more, more and of that you're stuff. you're already DJing. 
Uh, yeah, I'm kind of star. I'm basically, well, you know, we, so after, when we started with my cousins, it was a very gendered relationship. Mm. I was older than, they were younger than me. I was older. I was the manager, Didi. I was like the one who had the car, who had a credit card. So, and the reason why I was like, when nobody was like, yeah, sure. Cause I was like, look like I was hanging with my brothers. Right. They ended up for their own personal family reasons, going back to India. And then I linked with joy and that's when I started DJing. So, yes, at this time, I am DJing, and I think I'm working with Joy at this point. We're talking in the 92 to 97. Yes, in that window. Basement starts in 97. It starts in 97. So, so. basically, I got invited to this Dance India, a conference on Indian dance. And my whole agenda, or somehow in that conference, is you guys think of Indian culture as this high art classical form like Ravi Shankar Bharatanatyam. Well, that doesn't mean shit to me, because I don't... I didn't listen to that stuff in my house. Mm-hmm. I go to Tower Records and I don't... What is this music? Right. It doesn't speak to me. There's value in in, ma, in like mass mass art. There's va- value in people dancing to Bhangra or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're like, wow, that's, you know... Um, some of the people there were organizing this organization, Center for Traditional Folk Music and Dance. They're like, we want to do a Dance India program. We want to do all the styles of dance. And we, we want to put this the DJ culture thing in there. And we want to do some bhangra. Early in DJ culture, too. And um, it isn't... I, I, maybe, they, I, maybe those... You're right. It is a little early in the, in the con- conceptualization of DJ culture. So basically, there was this program at Hunter called Dance India. Mm-hmm. And this is in November of '96. And so they do different, and they wanted to have a live bhangra band, which was a tall order in 1997. Yeah. So I said, well, let's try to get Jazzy B. Jazzy B wanted $15,000 wow. in 1996. I was like, that ain't that, happening. The, I wonder what that is now. Sheesh. I mean, I still think if you had $50,000, I'd wonder if you'd do the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably 50, probably 50. <laughs> um, no comment. Yeah, it's about flights and whatever. Um, so, so then we got this band from Toronto called Punjabi by Nature. Not the Punjabi, not PBN from England. There was a band in Toronto. They had won a Juno or nominated. You know, if you meet people from Canada, everyone has been nominated for a Juno award. That's just a requisite for existence. <laughs> Juno is the Canadian Grammy. Um, and uh, they, so they brought them over, and they were hungered. To, hungry to play in, in the States. And this organization had done a lot of world music programming. And we're talking world music in that kind of white people read the New York Times and want to like taste mm-hmm. a little bit of culture, that kind of. Sure. That's its own loaded situation. <laughs> so they're like, oh, you know, this band is coming. They're going to drive 14 hours. Well, let's try to get them another gig. You Maybe said they, that. No, no. The organizers were thinking how to make it enticing for them because they probably weren't paying them much. Right. Or they were trying to make it worth their while. So they reached out to SOB and said, oh, because SOBs is very much now known as a hip hop club. Yeah. At that point. Not even at that point, actually. It wasn't that. In 96, it was known as a world music club. Right, right. It was Brazilian every Saturday night. Okay. And it was known as a world music club with some kind of sort of hip hop. Because hip hop was still emerging then, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was a typical play. You book a world music act, you see if you can get them at SOBs. And SOBs had had excellency there before. Uh, then they had done um, now, did they summer do stage. Did they do did SOBs bring in excellency or did I don't like know? A I don't, I'm sure it was connect. No, it was connected to summer stage. Okay, I'm sure it was the same thing. It was like you bring a band in and they try to get other gigs. It was like sure. thing, and in, it was sort of on the curatorial level. It wasn't a promoter driven event, right? So um, for Punjabi Nature, they're like, well, we can't we can't book you right now, but if you want to come back in February. Um, you know, 
we'll give you a gig. It's the middle of winter. No one goes out. We'll take a chance on you. <laughs> and so that night, they were like, so, you know, do you know any local DJs? They asked the World Center for uh, Traditional Music and Folk Art. So they recommended us. So that first you night. Enjoy. Me and Joy. So okay. that night, the bill was 32 tribes, which consisted of Kirsch Kali on drum set um, and a, a Shahid vocals, this guy, Fabian, who ended up becoming more of a industry music and in, not a musician but a music industry executive whatever did has worked in many labels and different things you're talking about the february gig or the, the november? february okay gig. so the, the november gig was this hunter no, gig we right. did this thing that's punjabi by nature okay then this is the first time we're asked to perform at sobs okay so it's like if you can bring in you get paid x right and then One whoever whoever brings a flyer with your initials on it right, you right. get two dollars a person right. or some shit are you hyped or were you already... I don't think it was a thing in that way. It wasn't... SOBs wasn't what it was. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't as big a thing as it feels like maybe even now to play there. Even though... I don't know. I don't think it... I think it was like a gig. Right. Okay. It was a gig and it was a Tuesday night. Let's not forget. It was a Tuesday night in February. February so yeah. we were as excited as one could get on right. a February cold tuesday and you know we put the word out and we got a lot of people and um and they remembered bangra punjabi's drinking mm -hmm. so then they approached me to come up with an idea for a night sob's approach yeah they said hey right you after. know yeah they said you know um why don't you you know what do you want to do let's try to Try to do something, and that's that's kind of how they roll. They see somebody who's popping, like you want to try something, and that that was a time in, in the history of their of the club where they had done, you know, um, Soul Kitchen. They started working with Giant Step. Like they had these nights that were certain musical points of view. Right. Um, so that was the idea, and so the, then I came up with the idea, and the, the impetus for the idea was, I'm sick of these shitty promoters telling me what I can and can't play. I don't want dress codes. I don't want any of the fancy stuff. That was the kind of gigs we were getting, like the netip, the whatever. I go, I want it to be accessible. I want it to be really bungra forward, which at that time was not a thing. Yeah. And I really want it to be hip-hop forward, which was also not a thing. This is a time when hip-hop is not played on the radio for anybody. As luck would have it, sorry, as luck would have it, by the time we'd established the date to start, Bali Sagu had just gotten signed by Sony Music. And they were dying to get him to play. So our first night was with Bally Sagu. Oh so that set it off. Crazy. That set it off. And um, it was, a, I mean. That was his Bollywood flashback album? No. This it, is after Wham Bam it was, and all It wasn't stuff, Bollywood right? flashback. It was Rising from the East. Okay. okay, gotcha. Bollywood flashback came, I think, after Rising from the East. There was... They were um, around. He was the same popping time. at that. He was just he was very. He was time. like crossing mainstream. He was getting written up. That, Rising from the East is an amazing album. It is pre Buddha Lounge. All that lounge music, that album happened way before any of that stuff, and it's still it stands up today. Such a well produced album, and it's very unique. So yeah, so that was just like fortuitous, um, and then you know. It started and so it didn't. It wasn't what, the. What was the night of that party? I can't remember. But, but that's was, our official birthday. <laughs> it was. It was probably March, and I think 
we consider that the first base in Bangor, though we officially have always celebrated in April because it's less chance of a snowstorm. And the the con- invention, the concept of the third, the first Thursday. We that was my idea. That. That was, okay. So the idea of that was to not compete with other promoters. I used to go out on all, you know, New York. You don't go out on Friday, Saturday. It's right. for amateurs. Yeah. That's for Bridge and Tunnel. Yeah. So you already so, own that. You're so already, I was like, you, you knew yeah, that I mean, I was already, like, on some freeform schedule lifestyle. So I was like, Thursday, um, you know, we don't have to deal with the nonsense. And if people really want to come, and the first round of people were our friends and activists and whatever. The whole, like, once it blew up and people were starting driving down, like, from Cornell every month or... Yeah, yeah, I've heard so many stories crazy. about people coming from different places, and and so that that by the next summer was when the line was down the block for the first time. Interesting. After Ballysigu, so that that and the reason why Ballysigu is really important um, is because the reason why I really got interested in Bangor is because my mom went to England and she brought me back a Mulkitsing tape. This is a very well documented story, and that it was upfront Mulkit. The album that has Tutuk, which I don't think, which I don't like that song. The rest of the album is amazing. And um, and then a few years later, we heard Wham Bam, right? Which is Bally Sigu's first mm-hmm. album. His first single is Def Mix. And and then and I'm hearing... Muffin, I'm hearing Ragamuffin Mix was on that one. Well, so oh, no. the single was Ragamuffin Mix, Gurunal Ishkmata. Yeah. So it was like Tutuk, Def Mix. Yeah. And they, there was a couple of singles. They gave him a couple of shots. Right. And then... All these albums sort of came out at the same time. They came yeah. out rapid, Wham Bam, Essential Raga, Star Star Crazy. Star they Crazy. all came out around the same time. They they were they were like, you know, so so. Um, it was all bang. What was re- yeah. they, I mean? I still play albums. them. I still play them today. Yeah, yeah me too. So I mean, you know, Star Crazy had, uh, and then Magic Touch, which is Nusrat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, so those albums. I mean, then we started hearing Apache Indian. We also started hearing fundamental, which is you know, this like sort of in in your face like you know punk they see can't even describe it, so all this stuff was happening um and that's kind of like it was just so liberating to really do a party like not beholden to promoters, not have to do parties where there's the stakes are so high where it's like twenty five even then it was you, we still could do a twenty dollar cover and it was just so much pressure. This was a different vibe. It was like a, a venue that was a music venue, had different rules, had different. They they held, They were partners with. They felt we felt like we were working together. Mm. There was a lot of um, creative meetings, and then there was a lot, it was a proper stage. Like right. this wasn't. This was a live music venue that was also a club. So the stage opened up a lot of doors to like try to get bands. I mean, we tried hard to get bands and acts, and there was some really sloppy programming just because there was such slim pickings, and we just wanted. To give opportunities yeah. to as many people. Can I mean, I, can I some pose of you for a yeah, second? sure. Sorry. Oh no, mm-hmm. no, you're rocking. It's an amazing <laughs> story, but it's like the water, man. <laughs> <laughs> you said there was some sloppy programming. Yes. I um, want to touch on that for a second because, like, what we've seen is like, okay, Bally, PMC, mm-hmm. Tiger Style, like all the big acts, mm-hmm. all the way through even current acts. Mm-hmm. You know, through helping Bikram Singh's career and Jazz mm-hmm. Dami coming here for the first time through you and like. Yeah. All these people coming mm-hmm. through basement, which mm-hmm. was Reka, but in the process there was some sloppy programming. Yes, which I I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, me but like, <laughs> but can you touch on that for a second? Because sure. like, I, will. I, I want the listeners to really understand that like, you had to have some L's 
mm-hmm. along with all the W's that you've gotten, right? Like there's there's been some times where it's been down. Sure. I mean, you know, there's there's it's look, when you throw an event, you really don't know who's going to unless you're pre-selling tickets, you don't know what's going to happen until the doors open. No matter what. And for 20 years, I was always waiting for when is this dream going to end? So, so like, there's like, like you wanted it to end. No, like not like wanted it to end. <laughs> no, 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 no. What I'm saying is like, when you do when you do a party, a club night, mm-hmm. and you don't pre-sell tickets as much as you have a solid club night that's pretty established. Everyone sees it's popping, it's established. But you know, day to day, month to month, some nights are better than others. Some right. nights a little slower. Some nights people come early. Something, something. There's a snowstorm. Whatever, you know, nine yes. eleven happens, like things happen. Right. So um, you don't take it for granted. Right. So in terms of sloppy programming, it's just kind of like learning on the job in the sense of I really, in the beginning, we didn't have the whole night. They, the club would program weird shit early. We had no say in it. We would have a lot of people that wanted to perform there that had nothing to do musically with the concept of basement. And we said yes to this one woman, God bless her. She was half Indian. She was a guitarist. Okay. Okay. I didn't really want to put her on, but in that day, in those days, we just kind of said, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I saved out. her life because I didn't let her sing the, the, the her third song. Cause it was just terrible, horribly yeah. wrong. And then I found, and then I tried to find ways to create, curate live music within the context of basement to not like violate the ethos of basement, to call it a series within a series or to do an early night, so that people, like, it has to make curatorial sense. Right. Like, I, you know, there's people, like, we want to play or book, and I, after a point, I'm like, it's not the right fit, and it, it doesn't matter. And, like, um, so that's what I mean. Um, and, you know, so many DJs would try to get at me. Mm. And I really wanted to do it. <laughs> sorry, Sherrod. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, he hit the stage, actually. I did, with Bikram. In 2007. Oh, okay. He was Bikram's hype man for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know that? I didn't know that. We were talking about it today. When I, That's you know, awesome. we were talking about But you still, too. I was like, I wish I, I was able to DJ that. Because <laughs> Bungler is a genre of music that I just... I like, mean, the thing about the whole... I mean, that's a... They're very... I'm so picky. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. You know? And it's also about trust. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the few... I Tell mean, I haven't that. had to DJ with a lot of that many Daisy dudes, but it's like, trust. Are you going to fuck me up before I get on? You know, do you, I had, I would, I would have guys, I remember this one guy coming up to me, close talker, Seinfeld, like way just (laughs) aggressive, aggro, supposedly. Okay. And they'd come up to me. Shots fired. And, (laughs) and you know, aggro talking and I go, well, do you have a bio? Do you have a, give me something. It's like, well, no. I go, where do you do? Well, you know, in my bedroom, a certain level of male entitlement that Mm -hmm. was happening. I was like, get out of here. And then he said some extremely sexist, homophobic shit when I wasn't there. Somebody told me to hurt me. I was like, really? You're wow. going to get far? But on the other hand, I've met some people who've approached me at the party through the years that have become friends, that have become, that I've DJed with at other nights. So I met, um, I had another party called Mutiny who I did with Vivek Bald, which was sort of the Asian underground vibes or inspired by. Mm-hmm. And I met I've met a, a lot of artists and people. That through, was in the, meat, the, the it was a time where you were running it in the meatpacking. For the meatpacking district was a mall. I, I came yeah. to that party too. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. party was. Dope. I remember coming to that party. There was a bunch of dope DJs on that. We had five DJs on that. Yeah, party. it was who, always who were the DJs. It was a quadratic equation to figure out time slots. Um, <laughs> Nuff deep. 
DJ Navdeep, DJ Zakam, Zakam, DJ yeah. Anju, uh, uh, and me, and Vivek. Oh, duh. <laughs> are, the, are those guys all in the game now? The mutiny team? Nobody. Nobody's in the game. And three of the two, two of the five DJs, their first the gig DJing was at Mutiny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a super group. No, um, no, that's not true. I mean, one of them does DJ sort of occasionally, but not in a in a in a professional or like main 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 thing. So so I noticed you had basement, and while basement was like, I guess you would say mm-hmm. like the baby, the yeah, 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 it was what it was. It uh-huh. was the monster, if you will. Yeah. In that time, so many other opportunities were created for you or by you. Mutiny was created. You created Bollywood Disco. Mm -hmm. At some point, you started a label. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Was that Beep Bazaar? Beep Bazaar is this this idea that has had so many... Failures. It's not even funny. My friends, like you, you, you love just using that name. <laughs> it was like it was a, a party at Joe's Pub. It was in it was a after hours party, and then it was a label, and none of those Wait, things hold really on, worked. Hold on for a second. <laughs> so, for those listeners that don't I just know, love the name. Yeah. New, New One York, day, New York City was just so amazing in that time to me. I feel like I don't know if it'll ever be the same, or I'll ever get that particular feeling. It's never the way it was. It's right, never right. The good old days. I, I, I mean, yeah. you know. I, I will tell you though, and Juicy and I had touched on it earlier was that a few weeks ago we were DJing at uh, Irving Plaza yeah, at UDC mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. when, we, when we were booked to DJ the gig. But you know I sold out Irving Plaza twice. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, th- Those kids don't know that because they were saying it on the mic. It was the first time. Oh, is that right? Far, far. You also sold out Hammerstein which is like yeah. Not, We didn't sell it out. It was we, packed we, as fuck. We had a lot of people. It was packed. I was there. It was packed. <laughs> um, but we were there, and I, leading up to it, I kind of didn't know, like, is this thing going to be jammed? Is it going to be like, No, I knew it like would be jammed. It, but jammed to the point where I just didn't know what the vibe was going to be. I didn't know right. how the people were going to react to, like, what was being played or what uh-huh, we were talking uh-huh. on the mic or, right, right, right. you know, what was happening. And we got off stage, and Juicy and I did a set together, and we were like, oh, this shit was fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And then... We went on. I, I had DJ for a couple artists. I did their sets, mm-hmm. and then I walk off our set, and I see you come on. Mm-hmm. And when I see you coming in with jazz, and you're about to do your set, I'm like, "Yo, this feels so good." Yeah. <laughs> well, fe- really? Because it felt so terrible to me. <laughs> for me, it felt good because I had just witnessed so many people uh-huh. in a crowd reacting to. The shit that we've been pushing and playing for years, uh-huh. and there's no space for it anymore. Like right. it's not. There's no basement mm. now. There's oh, no. Okay. And if there's no basement, and then there's no real like Daisy event where we can play Bangra, where but we why can play. Isn't the, this is my question. Why? Why isn't there? Because we're not doing it. Because nobody. Because like no one's taken. Because. It's like you make so much more money doing weddings. I don't know why. Like, like who? Like, like DJs anyone. in general? Like, I, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, I guess it's harder. I don't know. Like, I think the I real, think the real reason harder. we brought you here was uh-huh. to convince you to do basement. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's why we called you. This is a... Fun. No, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, there's definitely something that was extremely exciting in that space. I will not, I will, my, my critique of the space or which the event of the space of the event of course there's going to be critique. i mean we, we did well it. well is is you know which will guarantee i'll never get invited again 
um, was there was just like the only reason I was DJing there is I was Jazz Dami's DJ. Right, right, absolutely. It was thirty artists. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there were thirty-five men on the bill. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it was like it was obnoxious, and it was also overprogrammed, right? Very so it was like impossible to get everybody on. And I, the it's kind of a, the enthusiasm for it is admirable, but at the same time, you know, it needs structure. No, it's just any structure. It's just like make sure everyone, you know, gets on. <laughs> like, can, there's, can, can it's not ta- physically possible to have that many artists on yeah. unless you have more of a window. But, we, but you know, I mean, props. Every year the thing's growing, and you know, it's it's a it's a formidable thing for sure. It's it's a formidable thing, and do you, do you like what we saw out of it, and what we've been seeing lately more than ever mm-hmm. uh, in Asian music or Asian. what what everyone's calling. Asian. Yeah. Urban Desi now, but we've been doing yeah, Urban yeah. Desi forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that it? Almost feels between the music that's coming from all over the world, mm-hmm. uh, the digital space specifically, mm-hmm. not really the party scene, but digitally mm-hmm. and musically, I feel like it's very popping. And I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I feel there's a lot more content. Yeah. And I mean, people I think, and more creators now. I think there's a bigger pool of people making music. The distribution flows are bigger. It's easier to make a beat. Collaborations are bigger. I think the diaspora is activated, you know. And I think there's more of a conversation between India, UK, North America in a way that wasn't. Like, mm. you know, I went to India in 1998 went to all the record labels and said, look, I do this party and I want to, like, bring your artists over. And then you know, nobody cares. <clears throat> and why do they not care? Who knows why? Was it because of, you know, they didn't take me seriously or whatever? And I remember the UK bunger bands from the 80s trying to go to India and not getting any love because they weren't seen as, you know, authentic. And now if you, like, take the... If you went instrumental on some of the bunger songs, like, why would... You, there's nothing Punjabi about them. No. You took the vocals out, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah, it is a different time, and there is a larger, um, there are more people making music, for sure. And, you know, categories are, 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 are interesting, they're useful, and they're always going to be, every, no one wants to ever be in one category. Everybody wants to be just an artist, right? So, the Urban Desi thing is definitely uh, something, I mean, when, when Punjabi Hit Squad, they're the ones who pushed that label too Def Jam yeah they, they were they were on, on Def, Def Jam. Jam and they they got a category in Virgin Megastore as Urban Desi or Desi or something they I didn't got even something know Urban De- yeah I thought it was like yeah. more Urban like Desi that term's been around yeah, for yeah, a long time absolutely so it's you know that's the thing it's like it's, and that's the thing about terms right it's like they can be kicking around and who formalizes them who capitalizes them who like monetizes them those are different questions and who ends up getting credit for ownership around them you know, those are things to think about. Hey guys, this is Mega from Holy Chic by Mega, and I am listening to the Butter Chicken Podcast with DJ Sherrod and DJ Juicy. Yo, what's good, everybody? This is Jazz Dami. You're listening to Butter Chicken Podcast with DJ Sherrod and DJ Juicy. Hey, this is Heems. Shout out DJ Shiraz, shout out DJ Juicy. This is the Butter Chicken Podcast. Yo, this is Rackstar. You can catch me on the Butter Chicken Podcast with DJ Shiraz and DJ Juicy, and it gets super spicy. 
What up? It's your boy Siraj, Sneaker Room All Day. I'm here on the Butter Chicken Podcast. This is one of the craziest podcasts I've ever done. Listen to me, if you don't know what Butter Chicken is, you better Google that shit. If you don't know who my man DJ Sherrod is, you better Google that dude. If you don't know who my man DJ Juicy is, a.k.a. the Punjabi Fat Man Scoop, you better Google him. We here, man. Butter Chicken Podcast all day. Yo, can I get some Butter Chicken? Butter Chicken? Butter Chicken? Have you heard about Urban Daisy documentary? Yes, of course I have. Have you like talked to? He hasn't to gotten to me yet. I'm on his list. I'm sure he's he's making his way. He's making. <laughs> he's doing the rounds. But what are your thoughts on someone actually documenting it? I think everything should be documented. I think, of course, it should be documented. I feel that the early days in in New York, with what was happening in the Daisy scene, a lot of it wasn't documented. And it wasn't because I feel bad that we have so few. So few pictures. Oh my god! Of I basement. thought I was the only one that felt bad. No, I feel terrible. I mean, Dildit Assange came to Basement Bangra. Wow. And got freaked out to play because he heard too much hip hop and reggae and no. backed out. Wow. And then ended up dancing all night because he thought he thought yeah. And I, I can't prove that story because <laughs> because you know it's it's you know I, I can find one person to corroborate it. If we and this is before he had any before Bunga. This is before he worked with Honey Singh. A young, this was a young Punjabi singer. And you brought him to perform? I didn't bring him. Someone brought him there. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, guys would show up and be like, I want to sing right now. I'd be like, hell no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was through Sunil Sagal, who co-produced the Bass and Bunger track with me. He had a lot of connections uh, with Punjabi musicians, and he knew Diljit Asanj, and he brought him. And, you know, on, Sunil, on the strength of Sunil, like, f- of course, man, if he's like, yo, this guy's dope, I would put him on right. and then he got so the beginning of the night as you know in basement like we really make people <laughs> can, can we, we talk we, about that for a second for those who weren't death. there yeah like because <laughs> the music programming was something else and actually you know for those south asians or even non-south asians that were coming it wasn't bhangra all night long no it wasn't and i think people might have this misconception if they were never there that uh-huh. it was just a straight bhangra party no i mean I think the most skill of a DJ is the opening set. Is that's where you really flex. Thank right? you. Building a vibe mm-hmm. is so important. Is an art. Yep. So that's a that's super bars right there. <laughs> <laughs> but opening openings. I love openings. I so love op- I. I've opened for so many different kinds of musicians. I don't mind the openings. Yeah. I love opening as well. I think you're yeah. saying... It's, I mean, that's where I started. I was the opening. I was an opening <laughs> DJ. It's frowned upon, though. I People love, frowned upon. I love opening, and I also love playing all night. I mean, it's the thing. It's like, you don't always want to be the opening of course, DJ. Of course. You know, you don't want to... You want people to be there. It depends right. on, like, there's openings, and then there's openings, right? right? But I don't mind it, because the, one of the impetuses for starting Mutiny was we also had this all this other kind of cool music. And for me, it was like, and oh. that couldn't be programmed. And into I wanted, basement, so right? we played it early at basement. Mm-hmm. Okay, we played it from doors till, till like you know things got a little more popping. Mm-hmm. And so that was, but mutiny was you know just for correction, mutiny was started as a fundraiser for a film about the British Asian Asian, Asian scene for Vivek Ball's fundraiser, and then it grew into its own thing. It became its own entity as a party here. Um, yeah, the programming at basement was like you know like painful vibe building. I mean, and I have to say that we couldn't do that today, and we changed. It's changed a lot, and even in the last few years, our our style of DJing has changed changed a lot because people's attention spans are different. Um, can you re- can you go dive deeper into that when yeah, you say I our mean, style like, of DJing has changed? Like, a lot. like you, you mix kidding. mix faster. Yeah, so it's, it's, you mix faster. You, you don't. 
you got to keep it moving. People people get bored. Yeah. And you can feel the energy in the crowd waver. I and remember you playing full records. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I remember the record actually stopping. I mean, I'm sure I was probably, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. five drinks in. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and no, it didn't, nobody care. It was fine. Yeah. I could never do that today. No. Ever. It's like the opening set is always like, you know, I'm looking, I'm like, wow, I've played for 10 minutes. I've just played 14 tracks. Yeah. You know, that's not unheard of or whatever, you know, 20 minutes I've done, you know. So like, so that there there have been changes that have happened with technology, with the audience, whatever. The so, process has changed, I think, well, totally, like, before you'd pull a record. I mean, the physical time, right. well, CDs, wallets, CDs, whatever. Right. You, you can't, you can't, yeah. I mean, I had to, the other day, I, I did a private event, and I had the important songs on a CD as a backup, mm-hmm. and I just, I was like, this is shit, it's so slow, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> when, and did, I was like, when did you get on Serato? I'm 10 years in. But I was a late adapter. I was late too. Sure, I was. Late. I was like, nah, I don't trust this shit. This yeah. shit's gonna. Fuck it was up the same way. And school. even when I started oh, Serato, geez. I still took CDs and record. My, I remember my manager is like, you have too much stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I need everything. <laughs> yeah. You don't understand. So if 2018, so you're Serato 08, 08 ish. No, no, no. I started before then. I can't remember. No, no. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe. I'm trying to. Th- I know this is the, how I know, like, when I really went full on Serato. I remember leaving my CD wallet at Black Cat, and they had to mail it to me. Oh, and shit. And that was around the time the album came out. So, yeah, probably 07-ish. O- probably 07, 08-ish. Yeah, definitely. I was on Serato in 09. Oh, yeah. That's, that's I was flinging CDs out of the Denon <laughs> because they were skipping, and I was so mad. Yeah, I never used it. I was Pioneer. So you said around the album. Can we talk about that for a minute? Sure. Album, um, you did a record called the Basement Bunger Anthem. Yeah, single. Mm-hmm. A, uh, a record on on the album, which was a compilation Mix album. CD, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. That record was produced by you and Sunil. Got it. Mm-hmm. So, on the album, there's a Wyclef intro. Okay, you want the story? <laughs> no, no, I uh-huh. just don't want the story. But on the album is the Wyclef intro. Uh-huh. But when you go to buy the single, yeah. You can't buy it with Wyclef on right. it. And I'm fucking tight about that. Okay. Because you want to know why? Yeah. That's okay. why. That's <laughs> I'll why, tell you why. I, I had to lead up to <laughs> that I'm mad about the <laughs> fact that I have to have this long file. Okay. And chop it if I, I will want. send you the record. Okay. So I'll send you some remixes you probably don't have. The so spo- I'll solve that a problem. spooky remix too, right? No, nah, not for the anthem. Okay. The, the, for the Fakir he did. Yeah, Fakir. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, so... Uh, the album remixes the anthem. There was Max Glazer's remixes fire. I didn't uh, even know. I didn't have. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. I, never heard I, that one. I held that one close. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> never got released. No, I think it's on the single. Oh, so but it's not with White. So this is the story of the White. There's like story. five versions of it. I know. Yeah, that. yeah. It was a CD single. So basically, what happened is the Wycliffe situation was all done on the strength. There was no papers. There was no documentation. When it came time to be official. The presidents of the labels were like, blah, 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 pay this, that. The compromise was, he can be on your album. You cannot release him single. Oh. Because there was no money exchange. It was, it was done on, on the strength. He did the, he like, He's the verse. Can you walk us through that process? Like, like, because now people are making records by like, even no, back I then, mean, it was like, when some, I met, I won't, I won't say this artist's name, but the, when I'm, I met a famous artist in our community. 
and said, a, how much did you pay? A, a, South, a South Asian artist? A South Asian artist. Okay. How much did you pay Wyclef? I was like, oh, nothing. <laughs> oh, someone at someone. People are, you know, people ask you really obnoxious things like yeah. that. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they ask you. How much money do you make? Blah, blah, blah. Shit like stupid things like that. We were going to get in that to that today, but I, I guess we're not so going to talk about that. <laughs> so much Obviously. It's like rolling in the dough. Um, so how did the Wycliffe thing happen? I mean, I asked, there's a guy named Papa Jube. Oh, peace be to Papa Jube. Papa Jube is a musician. He's a Haitian musician. He actually, the Fugees used to open up for him. He's, mm. he's tight with Clef. But I wanted to get a feature on the song. And I asked Jube, I go, yo, man, can you get me, like, Rupee or somebody? I need somebody, Rupee, like... Rupee, okay. That's what That'll I was going fire. for. I was like, I was like, too. Yeah. I was like, yo, I need, some, I need somebody to just, you know, he goes, well, yeah, it's Clef. And Clef had been to the party a few times. So Clef has him. a relationship. Knew him would be generous term. Been to the party a few times. He's vaguely familiar. Um, so... I think, I, yeah, so I, there was some, loot, like, Jube, Mad Tight, so there was this relationship sort of brewing a little bit. At some point, I met Clef, went to studio and stuff, and he's, why Clef is ready to be down with anybody. Yeah. So I went in there, and he had done this Bollywood song with a, one Bollywood producer already, and that was before, I just went there to hang out with him, Platinum Studios in Midtown. And then... Um, How'd you get, like, to the studio? Like, how you, you just... Jube. He's like, come through. And so Wyclef's cousin is Jimmy, Jerry Wonder. Okay. And then um, uh, Arden. Arden is also a producer. Arden and Jerry do a lot of work. So we're kind of, like, all hang and know each other, right? Okay. So Jerry, it's always, like... It's pretty, like, open, it's pretty, like, just Yeah, Jerry, it's an open invitation for Jerry. For, like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to come by and... Yeah, come kick it. Whatever. So, um... Yeah, and then... At that time, uh, Deepa Jiva was working with me, and she was actually much closer to Jube and around this whole world. So then we went to meet Clef one time, and Jerry was there, whatever. And um, I don't know, like, at some point, I was like, oh, yo, we got to get Clef to do the verse. He's like, sure. And then out of nowhere, it was the middle of the day, and Jube's like, yo, he's ready right now. I'm like, what? He's like, come right now. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, okay. So How does that work? This so then I was, at that time, my office was in Chelsea, on 27th Street. This was the Sangament office? Yeah, Sangament office. We'll get into that, too. And and Platinum Studios is, like, on 48th Street or something. It was the middle of summer. And I call Sunil. I'm like, Sunil, Clef wants to do it now. Where's like, Sunil at the time? Sunil lives in Jersey. He's a consultant. God, no, he could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Sunil. He's like, oh, my God, I just happen to be on BQ. Oh, get here now, man. He's So he went in the studio. And so you're, Clef, you're stizzing at this point. You're You're, like... I'm like, holy shit. I never ran so fast in my life. I ran 20 blocks because it was uh, our office is on 27th and 7th. So it was like a straight shoot. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I was like running. And then we went in there and, you know, I I knew Clef at this point. I was like, yo, there's a mixtape. I also had to play it on. It's like, yo, this is a mixtape for our people. You know, I go, we hear a lot of. You played it down. You played it down. Because I didn't want to. There was all on the strength. There was no like. I'm like, yo, throw some bars on this mic- little mixtape I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, you know, there's a lot of Indian stuff in music, and, you know, but, like, people, hip-hop producers just taking our stuff. Like, I want people to do their research. I said that to him. Like, I want people to, like, know where it came from. Mm-hmm. He ran with it. Sick. And that's, that's it. He just, like, Is that off why the he's con- talking, like, Ray Cuz, like, the first thing? No, he's like, do your thing. research. He says, do your yeah, research, because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I told him, and he yeah. just, like, vibed off of that. And it w- the whole thing took... 20 minutes. Right. He no, had a guide. No he's, a, he's, 
you know, if you know Clef, he's very performative in every situation. He had a a studio cat there, and he was just like giving him the shit. He's like, "Did you get that? I'm gonna do it again." Like, you know, it's <laughs> like we're, you know, when you 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 know when you voice rappers like they sing it. You gotta you sing it. You, I mean, you you drop the bars and you double up and then you whatever and right. then you slice the best. Yeah, how how is music made? It's, right. it's a cut. You know, you get the best syllable or verse. And so yeah, so it was done pretty quickly, and that was it. So and did you had... take like stems there, or did you just take the record there and then they... we took we had the stems, okay. we had the stems. But they, he basically listened to it once and just started rapping on it, and that was it. It wasn't a. We just got his verses. Right, right, we right. We put it together finished later. Finished the production, and so then the first round of of remixes were done with with his him on it. Yeah, and obviously. then we had to tell all those producers, okay, you got to remix this without. Can you give me a version oh, without man. him on it? Man. So did some of those remixers do the record because Wyclef was on it? No, or they, they were just all did it pe- on, like, they were they, the. It was all friends, mm. like people I wanted, and I wanted each remix to have a different vibe. So I had like Max Glazer, the dancehall vibe. I had uh, Randolph, who's like this indie artist from India. Um, my friends, these hipster dudes, Diddy Pesh. I think at that time my manager had some other. Uh, up and coming producers from it was just a right. bunch of it was who we could get for the you know it wasn't I don't know at that time I don't know who we didn't that was it it was like so, so you put out this record in like the middle of the basement bungalow run essentially like dead center ten years right yeah. like ninety seven oh seven the album comes out mixtape Se- comes out seventeen and then seventeen it's done you did it yep but in twenty twelve. I saw an interview a while ago where you were talking about the label. <laughs> yeah. This and like, imaginary. so we, we talk about the, the this win of, of Basement and how amazing of a run you had. Mm-hmm. Before I ask about this other stuff and the label, I read earlier, like maybe mm-hmm. when you were in year 15 or 17 or something, that it was the longest running monthly event in New York City history. Is that true? I will attain. I think it is the longest running monthly continuous event. Yeah. What, what because do you mean most part continuous. Like there's no breaks mm. and then you the party stops and it starts again. And the reason I can say that is cuz most parties are weekly. <laughs> right, right. In fact, I remember when we started Basement and Monthly. Monthly's tough too. Pay, it's different. It's a yeah. different it's a different game. Right. The pressure's on harder. The weekly is like yeah, just as, you know, if it's you always have next week. Right. Monthly is like, damn. You know, you got a whole month. Right. So it's hard to say in nightlife, you know, but um, there are parties that have been around and have gone on for many years, longer than our shelter or whatever. A lot of the queer parties, underground parties. But um, in terms of like, and I remember when we started, um, there was this, oh, I'm getting old, I can't remember. There was this other house party that used to happen at Sapphire and our party, and it was also a monthly and I remember Paper Magazine saying, well, this new trend of monthly parties, basement bunger on this other, you know. Um, so I guess when we started, it was kind of a newer thing. But, I mean, let's just say one of the longest. Like, right. who yeah. cares? Super, you know, dope. it's like definitely top five. Super but dope. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I think it's definitely 20 years of a party without breaks is... Out of control. Yeah. Ain't too bad. Mm-hmm. Pretty damn good. <laughs> so... It's earlier you said like, oh yeah, I'm like like jokingly said, oh I'm rolling in the dough, I'm like super <laughs> mega rich or whatever. And like being where we're from culturally, like some people look at how much you make or or how much paper is involved to define your success. Mm-hmm. I think Juicy and myself personally 
never believed that. And I, I feel like to us, success is kind of derived in many ways, but impact is a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. And like if you're doing things that are impactful or doing things to shift culture or doing things that can resonate forever, it might ac- actually definitely holds more value than money ever can. Mm-hmm. To me, watching what you did uh, is nothing short of inspiring. Thank you. But I kind of look at it as one of the biggest successes to come out of <laughs> New York, South Asian scene specifically. And that so many people came and went in your time and so many people started and stopped and just people couldn't run it as long as you did and have, have a night that's legendary. What do you, how do you define success? And do you look at yourself as a success story that came mm. out of this music thing? Well, I don't know. It's a two-part question. (laughs) It is a two-part question. I mean, we're always hardest on ourselves. And in terms of the impact and the lasting stuff, you don't make art thinking about those things. You make art to make good art. You want to do something that feels good to you, that resonates. You know, like you said earlier, intentionality is very important. Mm -hmm. That you feel like represents or doesn't misrepresent what you're about, where you're from. For me, it was about creating a certain kind of space that was as open and welcoming and accessible to people and playing fucking music I liked. Um, and whatever success happened, the success of Basement was a lot of press attention early on and a lot of press attention not in the South Asian media until later. So there's so many ways to look at Basement. One could say it's like a long whatever party. There were also a lot of like... Um, Things that now, with the perspective of time, that were really difficult, that people were starting projects and, and whatever, and we weren't, I wasn't asked to be part of it and included, and I felt like, but why? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? How do I say this politely? Uh, <laughs> polite. We're, we're butter chicken. Butter chicken is messy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Put gravy everywhere. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, you know, it's, there's still a lot of barriers to. Like, it's the idea of, like, how do you parlay? Like, the thing people tell me a lot, which I hate, is that you're a brand. Man, a brand, brand, brand. You're what? A brand, which is the worst, to me, the biggest insult. Really? Why is that? I don't want to be a brand. I want to be cool, man. I don't, brand in, implies creating something for people to buy. Does it? I want to create something that's priceless. Bars. Fuck, I don't want to be a brand anymore, Juicy. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't we just it. had a branding meeting, man. <laughs> I just felt like that was the part of the work that I hated the most. Which was? The branding, the marketing, the f- whatever. But that part that sucks. It's terrible. Yeah. It's horrible. It's the worst. Definitely. Yeah, and then I, I always felt too. that people saw some people saw me in a certain way, and I was like, why don't I have more paper? <laughs> why did my lights get shut off the day after my my album got released you know wow like that's some highs and lows i don't do weddings let's think about the reality i didn't have a day job Uh i was in this for real for for real real. okay two feet and some days were better than others sometimes there was more and sometimes the parties made money i mean basement was always very very consistent i'm not gonna lie it was definitely consistent but then you know the ambition grows you know then you start like you're a business people. You you always have something for the next ten thousand dollars. You have like fifty thousand dollars worth of ideas for your next five thousand dollars. 
So you're like, you I always feel we just sink money in and not taking just anything. Constantly back. sinking money in. Yeah, yeah, that's like and, business um, too, right? Like, yeah, like buying gear, buying music. Everything for me, yeah. like you know, hiring folks to help, learning what MySpace is. <laughs> we also in a moment of, we went a moment of transition of marketing of like learning other new, having to learn new ways of doing things. Right. So, and then the cost of branding as an artist, I mean, that's also an, an investment. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you measure success? I think as well as basement is like, did it make a zillion dollars? No, it didn't. It never did. And it never, we never had any sponsors. I tried, never happened. Um, those things never went anywhere. I don't know if it was me or them. It was very hard for me to work with Daisy people. I think we were too early for it to be realized in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and I don't think I think I didn't have I, I needed somebody. I was I wore too many hats. I I I and for different times I've worked with my my crew had been different people and we could do certain amount of things, but it was there was never it was never like be, uh, able to take it to some like actual. You need a lot of free labor to grow things. Sure. And I don't believe in free labor. I've paid every single person that works for me, and there's no volunteer shit at all. I, I don't believe that. in it. That's really dope. Um, so, so on nights you took an L at the club or whatever, like never, the whole team. you never make. I mean, no, I learned some bad habits from the owner of SFBs, and I definitely had done that once or twice. I remember asking Bikram to take like a concession, and I realized like, oh, you know, there's an extraordinary circumstance. You try to partner, you say the artist, and then I realized that was a matter of practice for this club. And the truth is, you're the person producing the event. You're getting the reward. You take the risk. It is not the artist's fault if something fucks up. They showed up. They did their shit. Mm. They, it's not their fault. Shit happens. you got to take a hit sometimes. You know when you throw parties, the chances of you losing money are very little. <laughs> Unless you got some stupid bar. Like amateur hours. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Bar like, guarantees and no one maybe, shows right. up. Maybe like 50 acts or 30 acts or whatever. And, you know, then... Well, that's a different economics. Right, 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 right. You know, that's that. That's also like that might be a long play. You know, right, right, right. So we don't know what that what the story is with that. Um, but that thing is also probably run on like a right, lot of right, film yeah. festival. A lot of things are run on volunteer steam. I, I think the and I just started up. And yeah. I just couldn't. I can't. I don't have it in. It, I feel awkward. I also feel like I can't like. There's no accountability. I mean, when I hire people, there's no so people flake. Right. Is, I it, is it well? You're about your business at the end of the day as well. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, I'll I'll be really good to you. Just be on point with me, you know. Yeah, be righteous. Yeah, be and right I'm really thing. generous, and and uh, also like you know, if you work for me and it's time for you to go, it's okay. Right. Learn that from my dad. <laughs> no one's indispensable. It was hard for me to swallow that pill. What when people leave? Yeah. You should support them. Wish them well and. It's your shit. It's not their shit. They're never going to care about your shit as much as you care about your stuff. We say that all the time. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Be happy that they gave you some of what they have. Right. I, I, I definitely, it took me years, and I think till very recently, to get that. And I only think that can come with experience and just kind of going through it and going through, like, your growing pains. And well, it's also, you know, personal narcissism and ego that, like, my mission is the greatest thing in the world, and why aren't you dying for me <laughs> to, like, serve me? Have you ever thought about, like, have no, you ever I thought like that way? So from very... But I think it's unconscious, like, you're in it so intense, it be it's like you're, 
it's your number one goal and whatever. And right. like, it's not the people's but for priorities. For some people, are it's different. just a check right. or just or just different or just like people have limits or they have their own ambitions or whatever. It's okay, right? You know. So success, <laughs> have you hit it? Have I hit success? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, you were teaching for a while. Yes. At NYU. Yes. Would you consider that successful, Juicy? Absolutely. <laughs> it's definitely an accomplishment for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because did that come off of being DJ Reiko or did that come off of being Reiko Molotra? Nobody knows who Reiko Molotra is, so it's definitely about DJ Reiko. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, I was uh, in 90, at the same year. This, so it was a very intense year. What um, year was this? When the album came out. I 07. was 07. Oh, oh, um, I, NYU has an Asian Pacific American Institute, and I was asked to be, uh, an, they nominate one person as an artist in residence. So in that year, I was the artist in residence. And what that meant was um, you're available to the institute you know, as an artist to work with them and you had the option to, to teach a class. So I taught, um, I taught a class in South Asian pop culture and one of my students was, uh, Arjun, the actor dude. Um, I can't remember his last, Arjun Gupta okay, was okay. one of my students. So was Rhea Kapoor. She came to one class. Oh, wow. Just one? <laughs> Maybe two. Maybe she came to two or three classes. I was really stressed out. I'm like, Did you I have gonna? to give her a grade? I'm like, am I going to fail in Ulkapu's daughter? <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. And then my therapist said, well, you know, I'm sure he knows. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do what professors do. Yeah. There's your incomplete. Yeah. You fail yourself if you want to fail. I don't know what happened. Um, Wait, so did you? Did they tell you to teach that class, or did you come? No, up no, with I came up with the whole idea. They, you come up. I came up with the whole idea from scratch. So why South Asian pop culture? That was what I'm interested in, and not and not say Pungra. Or oh no, because it was uh, it was in it was under cultural uh, studies program. Cultural studies like uh, program. no no, oh, it, critical and social analysis program. That was the kind of class I wanted to teach. I don't. Bung, bung, I did teach a class at, about Bhangra later. I the first, yeah, well? I did. I teach. I taught a class called Bhangra Bollywood and Beyond, and then I taught a DJ Master class. I taught the business of EDM, <laughs> what? and intro to American music and music business. All wow. at NYU? Yeah, I taught all those classes over the course of how long? Like four or five, four years. So do you? So I started at APA. I taught the one class. Then Clive Davis Institute asked me to adjunct and develop some courses. So I taught some of those. Then I had a one-year position at Clive Davis where I taught some of their, like, stock classes, which was when I did, like, American Record Producer and Intro to Music Business, like, you know, like, master, you know, music business crap. Like, what does a manager do and how do royalties work and all that stuff. And, and but, then but, I did a class called how did you, Business how did you of know, Did you know all that stuff or did yeah. you also have to learn on the job? I knew that. I mean, I'm in the business. I knew that stuff. Yeah, but the, it, I mean, that's uh, your background's in urban studies, right? That's a technical degree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, did you, was there any post like uh, undergrad education no, 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 that you had? No. Okay. I was barely <laughs> got through that. So one. you didn't have to get a. Master's I started. Degree. I started with uh, English, and I switched to urban studies. NYU does not require a master's. You just got to teach. Like, got it. Got to be dope. You could be in. The, yeah, CUNY requires a master's. Right. Do you have to uh, at least have finish your undergrad? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, if you're super famous, <laughs> NYU will take you on because that's what they care about. They, if, if like, if like, if like, somebody is that going to get you hot water at NYU, or, or do you not care anymore? 
If you no one from NYU is going to listen to this. <laughs> of power, I'm sure. Okay, the deans cool. at NYU are not listening to this podcast. Okay, not, cool. not that not that we shouldn't <laughs> have ambitions, but... Right, 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 right. Okay. So you taught all this stuff from 07 onwards? Yeah, 07 and last year NYU was like 13. Yeah, there, I'm, I was... I was adjuncting in the beginning in the last semester I was doing it was a one year appointment so I did two and two just two classes a semester and are and you and then summer are you now summers. further pursuing your academic career or I am further pursuing my academic career on the download wait hold for okay. one second on that yeah so in 07 to whatever 13 you're doing that is that impacting this other stuff that you do, like this DJ Rekha stuff, like basement. I mean, I'm always and doing like, many things at once. Like, always. And you said you, you've always I'm always doing hats. like, yeah, I'm always like, there was a time when I was like doing marketing for record labels and that was one revenue source. Like, right. you know, this label in England got signed to Tommy Boy or when when uh, Michael Brooks, uh, when Peter Gabriel's Real World was releasing the Nusrat album, we did the street marketing. For, you know, there was always little bits of that. Um, gigs, the kinds of gigs I do are different. Producing my own events. Can can we talk about your gigs a little bit? Cause yeah. So you have this run with Basement, and mm-hmm. Basement ends in, mm-hmm. in 2017. August 6, 2017, the best day of my life. <laughs> can, you, can you walk us through why you say that's the best day of your life and why you ended it or why it just it ended? I know it. They're two separate things. Okay. Why was it the best day and why I ended it? Yeah. Uh, let's get with why I ended it. Yes. It was time. It was time to end. I I think, like, creatively, like, I had... I, I just... 20 years of my life, the first Thursday of the month, were committed to this endeavor. Mm, that's a lot. Is it true you only missed, like, four in your whole career? I've only missed one on a first Thursday. Okay. There were... In the peak years, there would be 17 yeah, a year. Third, first, right? third, yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah, bullshit, like mm-hmm. holidays, you know, whatever. Were they all because for revenue at that time? Absol- they're always for revenue. Okay, so it was about, like I read one article in the Times 07 that stated like, you hate being called the promoter. I hate it. Right. I still hate it. Right. Just because it was for revenue doesn't mean I hate right, like, right, the right, 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 right. But yeah. it was it was to make that paper at that time. That was, I mean, that it's just like, you know, the other thing is the first Thursday excludes people. There are always going to be people who can't go out All on right. a Thursday. Doing holiday nights allows other people, a lot of people visit yeah. town. So th- those were just bonus nights. I mean, my, my I mean, mostly the club pushed us, to be honest. They were always like, they could do bass and bunger every day. I mean, I still get emails uh, about it. So, um, So that's... To end the party was to just feel like it was time. And I had plotted two years prior to the end to end it. And I wanted to end it with this finale at Summer Stage. So that was the plan. So we had been at SOBs for 15 years. We moved to LPR. Uh-huh. and Why did that happen? I was sick of SOBs. <laughs> Nicer <laughs> venue. Fucking sick. <laughs> Nicer venue. Yeah. Bullshit. Changed the vibe. There was some not positive energy amongst the crew and <clears throat> I think that impacted things. I think we were having a little bit of a dip and I think the music was changing and I don't know. It was just like was something, something was happening where I was like, oh, you know, I think I was talked into it by associate then. It's like, oh, it's, not, it's all right, really close. I had done stuff at an LPR. Like, why not? And then, you know, I, I was, you know, still friends with Joy and seek his counsel sometimes and he's like, yeah, I go, I'm like, it's a pretty bold move. Like, it's like, yeah, just go out, come out of the gate swinging, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, 
like the first four months just go crazy. And, you know, as clubs do, we had a, I had a vision for it that at LPR didn't, didn't work <clears throat> because I wanted to do the small room early. I wanted to build this whole other after work vibe, which, uh, and then I wanted to go into the big room and they program things early till 10 and the rhythm of that space for that party never really took off. So we did the first one was PMC, then we had DJ Sands, and we had we had a lot of big acts at LPR too. Oh, Raghav came through. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, Raghav, tried and true. Raghav, that's where we had jazz, jazz dummy. Um, and so I think when it was like kind of, and you know, I kind of left SOBs. I thought on good terms, then it got really ugly. <laughs> just kind of like politics of the business. N- not politics, just whatever. Like you know. Trying to replicate what I do without having my those lawyers. It was God. Oh really? I didn't even know that. I it got hear about that. It got ugly. It got ugly because you know, like there are so many. Ha- you have success. There's people who, of course, want to capitalize. Whatever. Naturally. And my whole point is like, damn it, that's why I did Thursday. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and to be lumped into a category with other people, which you don't even think you're in the same league. Just we're not, you don't, you're not, your intentions aren't the same. Let's right. just say that. Okay, fair enough. Whatever. And then Deepa is the, um, really, you know, said, was still had a relationship with Larry Gold, the owner. And then after deciding that um, I wanted to um, end the party, like really formally end it, it made sense to go back there. And you know, water under the bridge kind of crap. Let it go. I let it go. And um, so we did, like, maybe, I forget how many. Like, the last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was the last year back at A little less than a year. And so that's that's the story, the the up the, the whatever. Because um, LPR used to do, used to Bollywood just go there a lot. So you so had you a relationship always, there. I had a relationship there. I had been booked there for other stuff. Right, know, right, different right. Different things there. Got it. Knew the bookers from other places before they worked there. Some of the people worked at Canal. You know, it's a right, small right. business, small right? Right, um, And whatever pocket you're in, you know. I'm in the pocket where I, I knew the, the programmers for these kinds of venues. So then uh, the best day of my life, summer stage, is like I planned it for two years. <laughs> I um, It was just like, just curatorially, it was everything I wanted. You know, it was like, a day of the artists that I really liked and people really came out for it yeah. and that it was just the friends came through big time. I mean, I flew Deepa in for five days from India because <laughs> like, I can't do this without you. Um, all of it. And there were surprises that I didn't even plan on. Like we promised surprise guests and Jazz was a surprise guest. And then, you know, Aparna naturally introduced me. She's a up and coming. She's not up and coming. She's an established uh, South Asian comedian um, and actress. She's in a show. She introduced me. Then Gurinder Chada jumped on it and wanted to introduce me after <laughs> Aparna was already going to introduce me. And it was just like good vibes. It was a perfect day in terms of outside. The weather, summer's tricky, can rain, course, it can be too absolutely. hot. And I was like, you know, these people, and there were there were people who had been there at the first one. There were different, you know. So it was, and it spent, uh, I spent a, a year, like a lot of time, planning it like it was i thought it was definitely over programmed at the same time <laughs> but i was like you get this many minutes yeah. and then we have the change and i hired somebody whose job was just to get people on and off the stage not even a stage manager like your literal job is this and then you're doing this and then you're doing like right. as much as possible sure 
Um, and and I got like Apache Indian, and I got Punjabi MC, and I got a lot of artists. And all those guys blown. are friends over the years, right? Like they they really supported. They're they're the, the artists that have been. Yeah, I mean, I was the first one to bring Punjabi MC to New York. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, I've done a bunch of gigs with Apache. I've been to his his uh, school, uh, his his uh, his organization in the middle of Birmingham. Um, yeah, so I mean, it all it just really came together, and I had. Like for a base and for and you know the programming was different kinds of people on stage, different kinds of music. So it was kind of like that whole vibe thing. It was a build up to the finale at the end. So I thought it worked out, you know. So to me, it was like it was fun because it was artists I really respected and loved. It was a mix of people. It was a lot of women. There was some, queer, you know, it was a, it was not it was not just a pro fest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but it wasn't done at the expense of the art in any way. And the difference, like you have it in memories, but you also have it documented. That party? Yeah. As, yeah, definitely right. in a way that wasn't documented. <laughs> so it's ever. like when we come back to it 20 years from now and we yeah. talk about the greatest You'll day see of your it. life, we yeah. actually have content yeah. from it. Because I'm not it, married, so that is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, But if we talk about early... My Facebook status was... Oh, it, for many, for a long time, was in an open relationship with Basil Flatter. <laughs> Just like, I'll take other gigs, but you know. Are there any days that you wake up and we're like, fuck, I wish I had basement? No. Wow. There are days so when the, I... The love no, affair ended. No, there are days when I wish I could DJ at basement and play these songs that I'm doing. I do a weekly... Let me plug my own podcast right I know now. about it, yeah. yeah. I do a weekly podcast called Bongo and Beyond, and doing the podcast every week is fun, but it's different than playing the songs. So well, there are times, and, and there's different. Have you, have the, you been on that for like years? years in right? six years. Yeah. And I don't promote it enough. Right. <laughs> That's my summer project. <laughs> um, marketing. You hate it. I hate it. Okay. This is marketing. Please listen. <laughs> uh, so um, I don't know. There's times when I'm like, oh, I wish I could play this, these songs at Basement Bung or not. I play those songs when I DJ. But to play certain songs at Basement is very different. And that is what I miss. I don't miss anything else about that party. Right. Just that energy during Just your like set. Just like the set. Yeah. The set. I mean, no, I, I miss But I don't be like, oh, I want to do it. No. No. So you've collaborated with uh, so many notable artists. Mm-hmm. Is there any, like, artists or any experiences with artists that, like, stand out in your mind that, you know, that you could share with us? That is too, it's too open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> any one scenario, <laughs> one, like, the greatest scenario with an artist? Oh, my God. I don't know. <laughs> Rod Star at Bollywood Disco? <laughs> <laughs> Rod Star, no. I'll tell you a great experience. Rod Star in India. <laughs> That, okay, oh, I had is, a Rod Star experience in India, too. I have a great Rod Star experience in India. Okay. I'm in India. I'm on this U.S. government tour. And um, we're playing at the Sarung Festival, which is these huge festivals at the ITT schools. And I'm playing in a stadium full of, like, I don't know, 10,000 people? 10,000 people, maybe? Wow. I'm like, yo, man, you need to be my hype man. Yeah. What? And um, he did it. And it worked, and it was great. And we went, followed up some weird Swedish death metal band (laughs) that people were like rocking out to. And then we did. And then during the set, they were doing this, the gesture for timeout. Yeah, this is in Chennai. Oh my god! And we're like, time, whatever. They're saying thummel. Oh, Oh, (laughs) oh, 
Well, you know, everybody's got a request for the DJ. And no DJ ever wants a request. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we would, I mean, I remember that set being a super like, you know, bass and bunger style, a little hip hop, you know. Because I'm like, when I, the minute I have to represent New York City. Of course. You know, musically. Yeah. For sure. And as well as the bunger stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of tension between perceptions of bunger music, its associations, especially there's a lot of regionalism within the country, you know. Um, so, yeah, but it, that was a blast. And what's sad, this is sad. They videotaped the shit out of that performance. Okay. Oh, no. And when they sent me the DVD, there was nothing on it. Oh. And good luck trying to find that tape. Sheesh. That's sad. Wow. So we'll never see the Rod Star Hype Man DJ Ray set. We gotta reenact it. Next DVC, <laughs> we'll bring it out. Um, you've done a lot, a lot in your career, and I, I don't even think we've touched um, on a fraction of it. That just means I'm old. <laughs> no, but now you're currently doing some other stuff, education, and then you're working in... I'm getting a master so I can teach at CUNY because you need a master to teach at CUNY. No, so that's not the only reason I'm getting a master's, but that's like definitely one of the... Things that drives you. It's like you can teach it. I've taught at NYU, but I can't teach at CUNY unless I have a master's, and that's where I'd rather, if, if I want to go back into teaching. So that's a, that's a possibility. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. And you're also working in music, um, doing your podcast, right? Yeah, weekly. I got met Quadrangle Hustle, as Vijay Iyer says. You got the Quadrangle Hustle. <laughs> I, I listened to the the latest one, and I okay. saw that you put like some really new records on it, like G Sidhu, put oh, credit yeah. card on. Credit, and, oh, but that's that's not that new. No, but new in the sense where it's like it's a hot relatively record. Relatively new. Well, the, yeah. the freedom of the radio show is. I saw Amr Sandhu's record on there with Rackstar. Oh, I, I mean, I got to keep it fresh every week. The, the the freedom of the radio show is, I don't need to know. I don't have to worry if people know it. Right, absolutely. When you're playing, when you're when you're dropping records for the crowd, if they don't know it, it they need to know it a little of bit. Of course, you're breaking it. So breaking records in front of a crowd versus breaking records on radio show are two different things. Sure. So there's some free, there's a lot of freedom about a programming or a radio show like that. Right, and no one tells you what to do. Zero. That's pretty dope. They're, the what the station wants is they want they don't want the same show every week. They just like there were some late nights like oh I gotta turn the show and it's gonna change a couple of songs nah. It's got to be super as fresh as possible. Right. I, I got to know, how do you, like, find balance between the quadrangle hustle? There's the, what's the other hustle? School, I'm at MIT. And Bars, MIT. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you had to drop down a Had to. Yeah. <laughs> so, Teacher at CUNY. Oh, yeah, the, th- the, th- the fourth hustle is, is, is the gigs. Yeah, DJ Rika. Like, booking gigs and clients and... I don't have I don't have a heavy load, but still. But you get those. Um, we're not going to talk about paper gigs, but you get some primo dope ass gigs. Like yeah, I, I, you're flying to do the a festival coming up with like thousands of people. Where? I don't know. June June something. I just heard you oh. talk about that. Oh yeah, five uh, X Australia. I'm not Where going to Australia. I wish. Where is that <laughs> festival? Vancouver, Surrey. Oh, Vancouver. Vancouver. Okay. I like, nice. I was like, really? Oh, I didn't Vancouver, get. That. I did get a. I did. What, I, what's five X festival about? 5X is a new it's it's a newer festival. It was the same folks people used to do VIBC uh, okay. festival Vancouver International Bangura thing. Sure. And so this festival is called 5X. Mm-hmm. Still referencing Punjab Five Rivers, mm-hmm. but it's trying to look broader, not just Punjabi Bangura music. It's okay. still very Bangura 
Punjabi leaning, mm-hmm. right. but they're trying to open it up so that it can it can be just curatorially more expansive. So you like you're like the headlining DJ there. I'm not the headlining DJ. I'm one of the DJs there. Okay, so you but Sherry, there's other artists there. Sherry okay. Mann, Jasmine Sandalis. There's the lo- DJ Convict. Um, there's other people. So a bunch of whole cool people and yeah, thousands of people that you get to play with. Yeah, so it's and it's in Surrey, and I've never been to Surrey. It's like kind of like doing a festival in Edison. <laughs> Because I've done the festival twice in Vancouver. Right, That's where right, I met right. Jazz for the first time. Gotcha. Know, we're on the same bill. It's a it's a great festival. I mean, I mean, it's 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 changing into something a little different, but it's a great group of people. I love doing so, it. So so that's the fourth hustle, though, is the gigs, and you get the to gigs. do some some cool ass gigs. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there's some cool gigs on the table for the rest of the year. I won't jinx it. And ma- management handles that, or you you get to do that on your own? Like how I am my management. Oh, now you're. I I don't have a, I I I have a administrative support. Okay, but you handle like dealing with the client. Dealing well, with yeah, the there's somebody that handles with as much of. I I I jump in when necessary. Mm. Wow, yeah. so you definitely. It's not manage. It's not they're they're it's admin, not management. Right, right. So yeah, to Juicy's question is like, how do you balance? Yeah, how do you all find the balance? Like, like it seems like you've know. got a full plate, and you. I don't do a lot of each one. I do a little bit of each thing. Okay. <laughs> Part time at Spotify, not full time. You okay. know, gigs. I don't have like I'm not like super wedding DJ like book solid. Just like I, I do when I do those kinds of gigs, maybe four a year. The other gigs come as they come. You know. And you're not so, aggressive with it. Like I got to be working all like every. I, week. I. It just comes to me, and with school, I've I've par- I've toned it down a lot. Got it. I, and painfully, <laughs> I have I to mean, turn down some some really no brainer easy gigs because I'm like it can't be in New York then. Sheesh, it's tough, painful. Right, so kind of doing a little bit of not overstressing in one department leads you to yeah, have I mean, this it's, balance. It, yeah, I mean it's it's tough because when I started working Spotify, I was like all in, and and then I was like, wait a minute, I cannot flunk out of school. <laughs> <laughs> I need to dial this back a little bit. So yeah, so I think. Uh, um, and I, you know, in, in taking the position, I was very clear about my limits and whatnot, and they were very, you know, accepting of it. But then I started getting really in it. I was like, oh, well, let's pull back. So, yeah. Very interesting. My my wife is studying ethnomusicology right now. That's right. I met her. Yeah. Where do I met her at? Uh, the pop up for UDC. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Where is she? Is she at Columbia? She's at Columbia. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So cool. she was. She was actually telling me about the conversation. I was telling her that you would be on the show tonight, and oh. she was like, "Yeah, we had such a great conversation." Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That yeah. no, was great to meet her. But it's. I, I mean, just uh, speaking to y- your work ethic with school, like I understand what goes into it because I see it firsthand on a daily basis with my wife, and it's just kind of juggling. She's everything. doing a PhD. Yes. Yeah, well, that's murder. I'm not <laughs> doing a PhD. <laughs> but still, I'm, I'm. I mean, you're at a very. Uh, Credible and, and competitive school. I'm also like I'm old. I don't even care. Just give me a grade. <laughs> <laughs> it's like whatever, you know. You, you, you know what, Reiko? With all that you have going on, and kind of diving deeper into what you do, uh, and just learning about your hustle and everything that you have going on, uh, I'm really happy that you came through today. Well, I'm yes, glad um, to be invited. I don't always get invited. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're always you're always our guest. I, I, like like I like I said, I told Juicy. I don't know if I told it to you earlier, but I, I actually thought you like might not be down to come and and just rock with us. I don't know. Some I was literally just... not in town. I was at school. No, no. Like even when asking, I was like, "Yo, Juicy, like these are some of the people I want to ask to come on the show." Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, I, "I love ask, talking." If I ask Rachel, <laughs> like I don't know if she's gonna be down. 
and you're here. And you didn't and even know how down I would be. <laughs> no, nah, it's super down, and you you gave us so much information, so many bars and so many gems. Um, I just want to ask you to to share something with the youth because you've you've taken this really unconventional career path. Mm-hmm. Um, you've broken barriers in everything you've touched. Uh, you continue to break barriers, and you're continuing to educate yourself and do cool shit. I'm sure if we speak to you a year from now, there'll be 10 other projects <laughs> that you've touched and <laughs> other so. stages you've hit and other places you've helped and maybe other artists you've brought into, whatever it may be. Like, you're continuing to work, and you've mm-hmm. never stopped, and the hustle never stops. There's so many people that are young that listen to us, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they were inspired by your story. I'm sure they're going to start doing their own research on you for those that didn't know you. Um, and for those that knew you a little bit, I hope they got to know you a lot more. I hope this, so, too, because this typecasted with basement. Through, <laughs> word. Through this podcast and through this episode, I really hope they got they got to learn something. Absolutely. Hopefully, you know, they did. But But for those people that are listening, is there any words of wisdom or any words of advice that you could give to the youth, uh, specifically South Asian youth, uh, that are our core fan base and that are listening to us today? Advice. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's some general advice that I think a lot of people give, but I think I I don't want to give advice to the youth. I want to give the advice to people in power is to give people opportunities and to think broader and wiser. People who are hungry are going to make their art and do things. And the way to do that is to build communities, to find like-minded people, um, and to take yourself seriously. But what really needs to happen is people in positions of power need to provide opportunities. We also need to build outside of our community and be respectful and conscious of where are we getting our influences, what cultural things we... You know, the people always cry about cultural appropriation. What are we appropriating culturally? You know, we're using hip-hop as sort of a staple, at least I am. What does that mean, you know? What is the impact of that? Where does it come from? Just being thinking about those kinds of things. And, um, yeah, I mean, be nice to people. Don't work with assholes if you can help it. <laughs> you know, guys, stop being slimy assholes all the time because we didn't even, we don't have enough time to talk about that. Po- that's a whole other podcast. We have as much as a podcast. We can do whatever we want. We're not <laughs> limited here. Daisy men are disgusting and gross. They're really, there's been, it's just, where's that Me Too movement? I'm waiting for that part. I've seen some terrible things. It's unnecessary, you know. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's it, you know, like come correct. Love it. Bars and gems, both gems and bars, gems and bars. Rekha, (laughs) we love you. (laughs) I love you too. We appreciate you. Thank you. We thank you. Thank you. I personally salute you. (laughs) You A fan, a real fan of everything you've done. Thank you. I can't wait to see what, what else you have up your sleeves. And uh, we look forward to it. <laughs> we look forward to hearing from you more. Uh, this is the Butter Chicken Podcast. It's your boy DJ Sharad and DJ Juicy, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Butter Chicken Podcast. Please be, uh, please find us um, on Instagram at Butter Chicken Podcast. That is our hub. It'll take you to all of our podcasting platforms. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and make sure you like that shit, Butter Chicken. Blech. We out. Thank you.